What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome back to Today's the Day with Zach Anderson. Let's get into it. What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome back to Today's the Day. I am absolutely stoked for this episode. Um, this is a super special one to me. Todd, Todd, first and foremost, thank you so much for coming out. I know how busy you are. I know how crazy it is for you to come down to the studio, take an hour, um, and kind of break it down with me, but I appreciate you big time. Um, to real real quick intro, Todd. This is Todd Peterson. Absolutely, by far, one of the most influential people in my lives, one of the biggest father figures I've had, um, and just a really, really, really close friend is what it's turned into, um, and just a big role model for me. So so to intro, I'm super, super quick. Many of you guys already know most of this stuff, and some of it you may not, but we're going to dive in depth into a lot of it and, and kind of get the story of the man himself. Um, but Todd grew up in Idaho. He had 10 siblings, so he was one of 11 um, growing up in Idaho. Um, kind of a crazy upbringing, very, very independent coming up. And we've talked plenty prior to this, this podcast about you growing up and just kind of the situation, everything like that. Um, kind of a a crazy childhood at some point at age 14, you ended up in a boy's home. Um, and then fast forwarding, you ended up serving an LDS mission and got back from your mission. You founded a pest control company in 92, or that was your first summer knocking, and then by 99 is when you, you um, founded what is now Vivint, right? Which is now one of Vivint's largest employers with 7,000 or more employees right now. Um, there's over 1.8 million um, customers. And that brings in over a billion dollars a year in revenue, which is just unreal. You've, you've taken multiple companies public. Um, you were also the founder of Vivint Solar. Um, you were just recently inducted in the 2021 Silicon Slopes Hall of Fame. Um, the list literally goes on and on, but some, some very notable things. Um, you, I, I got a fake um, degree from a university. Oh, did you? Which yeah. university? You, I mean, I love UVU, by the way. But they, <laughs> get, they I didn't earn it. They gave it to me. So I, I should have you call me Dr. Peterson. So you're a doctor. a doctorate. You have yeah. a doctorate? Yeah, I do. I didn't even yeah. know that. Yeah. Dr. Todd Peterson. I even on. spoke at commencement. It was pretty, it was pretty rad. That's yeah. Did you have to do the whole thing, the whole, the program, or yeah, they just I gave sat it to you? The, no, I sat through the what the program. I mean, like the whole doctorate I sat program. The whole commencement, yes, the whole program. <laughs> you mean the graduation program yeah, is what like, you're yeah, saying? It was like two hours, man. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Todd Peterson. Um, you also some very notable things on the other side of it. You you founded Vivint Gives Back, which has raised over twenty million dollars. Um, your name's on the Peterson Tower at IHC's Utah Valley Hospital for your ten million dollar donation. And then very recently you just went and donated, you and your wife, Andy, went and donated $35 million to Primary Children's Hospital. So just insane. And the list, literally, I could have written three pages on that, and it would have gotten really boring just hearing me talk. But, I mean, yeah, first and foremost, man, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm really excited to go dive deeper into a few things. Glad, glad to be here. So let's start, like, very, very, very beginning. Like, growing up, you grew up in Idaho. Where in Idaho did you grow up? I grew up in Idaho Falls. I mean, I was actually born in Seattle. My okay. dad uh, was going to orthodontic school, so I was born downtown Seattle, but moved when I was two years old. Um, so I, you know, even, which is funny, even today when people say, hey, where are you from? You know, if I'm out and about, I say Idaho. For sure. I don't know. I just like can't lose the roots because I really did love just the entire experience and, um, you know, everything that being a part of Idaho and a family in Idaho and a kid in Idaho. Like, you were there me. through high school, right? Yeah, all the way through high school. Okay. And then growing up in Idaho. There was 11 of you. So you were one of 11. You had 10 siblings, correct? 10 siblings. Where do you fall? Fourth oldest, oldest boy. So I was kind of like, um, like a little bit stuck in the middle. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's positives and negatives probably to that from a, from a, uh, you know, upbringing perspective, but 
kind of right stuck in the middle, but um, I'll say that I lo- I don't have 11 kids. I loved growing up in a family of that size. It, it was it was truly amazing. What is that like? Like, because I have a mixed family, older, now I have a ton of siblings. Like, what is that like growing up being one of 11? I mean, I, you know, I don't think we didn't really know anything else, but um, look, we had to learn how to get along. We had, we had, we didn't have a big home and we didn't have a lot of bedrooms. I mean, most of my upbringing, I had three roommates. Yeah. Double bunk beds. And we, you know, but it was also mayhem at night, you know, the pillow fights and jumping across the the bunk beds and, you know, sharing one closet about as wide as that shelf right there. I mean, you just learned how to like, you know, get it done, you know, in a crowded space and make it work. find your place, you know, in life, mm-hmm. which you kind of had to do. So Absolutely. I loved it. I loved it. No, I love that. And then were you pretty close to your siblings growing up and your parents or how was like your family situation, your dynamic there? Were you guys pretty close? I'd say no, I actually wasn't. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a family as LDS. Um, I wasn't um, definitely not against it or anything like that, but I just wasn't that into it growing up. Mm-hmm. And my parents were and are, and are, I guess my dad is dead. So I think he still is. I don't know. I would assume more than ever, assume more than ever. Um, (laughs) but, um, you know, I just wasn't all that into it. And I, you know, I was probably looking back as a parent now, I was probably a pretty selfish kid. I just did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, the cool part was my parents, um, I don't know how, again, thinking, thinking back on raising someone like me as a parent, Mm -hmm. they gave me a lot of latitude, like almost complete latitude. Um, they allowed me to make my own decisions. They didn't force me to do anything. Yeah. They didn't force me to live any certain way, but they also, um, allowed me to deal with my own consequences, which I had plenty of them. Absolutely. So, so when you talk about that, I guess that's kind of like an intro and explanation into when we were talking right before, I didn't even know this about you actually. And I feel like I would have known this or would have heard about it at some point. You ended up at age 14, you ended up in a boy's home. Yeah. So ending up in a boy's home, I can only imagine that means you're probably not the easiest person to be raising in the first place. But what what were you like? How did that happen? And what was that? Um, you know, look, it was called Lil Benyon's Boys Home in, in Wyoming. Um I I think I, you know, thinking about myself as, you know, as a younger kid, I was I just was always super active and sometimes it wasn't active in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I had friends that I connected with pretty young that we were, you know, um, creative in everything that we did. And it always kind of ended up leading to trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think it was one of those things where um, I think my parents um, and probably, you know, others around me felt like it was you know, wake up call, you know, get, you know, get me into a place that would give me a wake up call Yeah, or things could have gotten much worse, which funny enough, they did. They actually did get worse um, for me, you know, as far as, How so? I just, I got into everything, man. I was, uh, I was a kid that, uh, you know, I wasn't afraid to try anything. I was uh, mm-hmm. first time I, I got caught drinking. I was 12 years old. Um, Dean, you know, Dean, yeah, he's 13. that's remarkable. I mean, could I you was, imagine? I was 12 oh the first time I goodness. got caught drinking. And um, I, that's, I mean, that's kind of just who I was. The first time the police showed up to my house because of me, I was in second grade. I still remember sitting at dinner. My, I hope my mom doesn't watch this show. She's probably tried to forget all this stuff. But sitting at dinner, <laughs> knock at the door. We're all eating dinner. My mom said, asked me to come into the foyer, and um, two police officers were standing there. 
I was in second grade. <laughs> what they, could you have possibly done? I got, I got in a really bad fight with a kid uh, across the street. In second grade? Yeah, in second grade, because he was picking on my friend Corey Zanger, who was kind of one of those kids. You had Corey's back. Himself. I had Corey's back, so. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and um, you know, I just, I was just, I was creative. Yeah. Did things that always, uh, you know, I thought with good intentions and, you know, fun, trying to have fun, but, um, man, we always got crazy and, uh. I will say though, going to that this uh, Low Benyon's boys' home, there were there were probably a hundred, um, you know, youth there from all over the country. Not, you know, I think I was the only one from Idaho, mm. and um, they were kind of the worst of the worst, you know, um, like just in trouble with the law, like I had been, um, causing problems. Parents didn't know what to do with them necessarily. Um, it was a, you know, it was a stopping point before maybe going to like, you know, juvenile hall or juvenile detention. Yeah. Um, and, and I, that was actually an, a pretty incredible experience because really had to figure out quickly where you were positioned, how to position yourself, how to team up. Cause you had to have your partnership yeah, big time because you had to back in those days, anything went at those places. I mean, our counselors beat on us and yeah, I've never come out publicly like, you know, other people have, but they, they literally would beat on us. Yeah. Um, it was abusive. It was crazy. But in some ways, like I learned a lot. So beneficial in some yeah, ways, even though it was a ways, lot. Yeah. Of negative. I, mean, I was one of the younger 14, I think was the youngest they allowed up yeah. to 18 year olds. And, yeah. You know, our counselors were, you know, 18, you know, 19 to 24, who knows what. And yeah, um, it was kind of mayhem all the time. So you had to kind of figure out your place and um, still be you, but, uh, you know, discover how to, how to lead or be led. Um, one of the two, you can make those choices. Yeah. But um, it was it was a crazy experience, and I, I literally through that period of time, I don't think I talked to my parents once. How long was that? It was like four months. Yeah, that's yep. crazy. And so then coming out of that, what was that? You came out of that, went back to Idaho, then right? Went back. And to, what was the like? What was the change? Did it do what it was um, supposed to do? Like, honestly, um, it made me more creative. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I it it truly did. So got you. I didn't straighten up per se, but yeah. And when I say straighten up here, this is an important fact, like, and I don't even know how this is possible, but, um, I never, I never, um, you know, some, some kids are getting in trouble all, all the time. They're angry and they're lashing out at their parents and all that stuff. I, that didn't happen in my household. Um, I only had words with my mom one time and I think I was a junior in high school, literally through all the trouble I got in, my parents never raised their voices to me. They didn't ground. They just allowed, you know, again, they allowed me to suffer my own consequences and figure it out. But my mom said something derogatory about a girl that I was hanging out with and I got super upset with her. And, um, this is how cool my parents were. She came back about 15 minutes later and she's like, you're right. I was, I was in the wrong. I should not, I shouldn't have said something like that about someone. Oh, wow. That's how rad my parents are. My dad, um, my my dad i was probably these are just thoughts coming to my head but um my dad when i was probably man i don't know uh, 10 or 11 years old something in that range i was i loved basketball um i was out in the driveway in the winter time and there's a couple little spots of cement i could dribble on and shoot mm-hmm. we didn't have an indoor basketball court like the petersons over there in orem yeah uh, oh that's the me. indoor in the base uh, yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Anyway, I was out there shooting and, I, and leather, this is how old I am, leather basketball shoes were just new. 
And I was out there shooting in my Nike leather shoes. They're like 90 bucks. Hmm. And my dad comes home from work and he had never got, I mean, not that he was never upset with me. He just didn't raise his voice. Yeah. Um, and never really showed that he was upset. He got super mad. Do you understand how much, it, how much time it takes me to earn the money to pay for those shoes? How disrespectful. I can't believe you're doing this brand new pair of shoes. You're ruining them. And I was like, well, cause you know, I wasn't used to my dad yeah. you know, getting mad. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, do I go inside? Do I keep, you know, shooting? What do I do? My dad comes out like five minutes later and he's like, I just, you know, told your mom how upset I was about your shoes. She told me you paid for those shoes with your own money. And he literally said to me right then, he goes, I will never yell at you again. And he, when I say yell, he raised his voice pretty loud and he was firm. Never again did my my dad raise his voice to me. That is so crazy. rad, rad, rad. Where did they get that? Like, where did your, like, that's so up. The reason I was, that's so opposite of 90% of parenting styles I've ever seen. Where do they like. I don't know. You know, my, my um, look, and this is, I, you know, when I think about myself, I think about, you know, think about your roots. Um, you know, we are for good or for bad, like part of our upbringing um, is, is part of it's who we are, but I think also our DNA are, you know, who our parents are. Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, make, it doesn't make us, but it, it definitely informs who we could be or what we, what we're like. But my mom grew up outside of Idaho on a dry farm. Mm. Um, and it, you guys don't even know what dry farming is. No idea. Um, dry farming is the poorest form of farming. You have land, usually you lease it, but you have no water rights. So the only water you get to water your 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 crops with is rain. So if it rains, what? yeah, it's called dry farming. So if it doesn't rain, you're doesn't just rain, you're broke. And my my mom you're grew up poor, 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 destitute, destitute poor. In I, you know, mm-hmm. in Idaho, yeah alcoholic father, um, very physically abusive, you know, um, it, so pretty, not pretty, very rough circumstances. Yeah. Um, incredible hurt. You know, I didn't actually know him. He died, you know, in a, in a drunk driving accident, but, um, so, you know, her reality was that that was her life. And so I think part of like what we had going on, my dad was an orthodontist and he was a good man. He was good to my, my mom and he was helpful. And, so why would she ever like complain if, you know, one of her kids was getting into a little bit of trouble? Yeah. So she was like, man, I've seen bad. This is not bad. This is like, we have things. Go- I, th- I think like her perspective yeah. was probably so positive. Yeah. And my it. dad, um, my dad's dad, um, was Danish and his, um, his dad was a tailor, like made suits and they were incredibly poor and, um, they didn't have much, but what they, had was well, my grandpa Eddie was like, uh, if you said, "Hey, who's your lifelong best friend?" My my dad's dad, yeah, Eddie Eddie Peterson, um, like the most positive attitude, and the most like amazing, like personality that was like it drew everyone in in a way that was incredible. But he was a tailor, and so everyone in town knew him. He became the mayor, but he um. He was a gentleman that he had polio as, as, a, as a child. He was premature, born prematurely. Mm-hmm. And- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. They didn't think he'd make it. And uh, my his mom, like, kind of nurtured him to health. He was born, I think it was two and a half pounds back in whatever early, Jeez. I don't know, was that in the 30s probably or something? And uh, had, that had polio. Then it got ran over by a car when he was 12 and it was practically crippled. But every day, anytime anyone had asked him, and I was around him all the time, hey, Eddie, how, you know, how are you doing? And he, and he would always say, I've never had a bad day, no matter what, no matter what. Like, and he had, he had plenty of bad days, you know, growing up. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. My parents just, they, 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 they grew up Idahoans. Yeah. And, um, you know, everything was good and everything was fine. And, um, you know, nothing was insurmountable as far as, you know, challenges and whatnot. So that's way cool. Just good, just good people. Yeah. It's way cool. Like really cool perspective to like yeah. approach problems with, I think yeah. really cool. So then that, so fast forwarding there, you get back, back to Idaho after being 14, you'd been like a troublemaker growing yeah. up, creative, as you say, super active. And then you end up serving an LDS mission. So yeah. two years fully dedicated to just your church. Yeah. Where was the transition from? 14 year old to when you served when you were 19 well so i um you know i kind of went off the rails truthfully like it was it was anything and everything mm-hmm. um i wanted to get you know too graphic for the kids here but i mean i i was you know i worked at a pizza joint and um that's what I, they sold pizza and, and joints but i mean, I, mean it's, <laughs> I never thought about that but it was uh you know like kind of anything and everything yeah and um so even up until the time I was going to go on a mission, I didn't really believe in God. And, um, I didn't believe in God, not, not really. And, um, so I kept, you know, I kept, kind of kept up the lifestyle, but I will say I got straight A's in school. Mm-hmm. I played sports. So it was weird. I was like high functioning kind of wild kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Had a, I had a relationship with my parents. It was, I wasn't strained cause there wasn't much there because I don't think they understood how to deal with me. So they kind of compartmentalized me a little bit. Yeah. Then I had 10 siblings that were just really great people. Yeah. You know, very, um, you know, I don't want to talk, you know, obedient and, you know, they, they did, they were good, just good people. Yeah. And then there was me. Um, when I was the summer after my senior year, uh, my parents went on vacation and I don't remember now if they just didn't invite me with the rest of the family, but me and one of my sisters stayed behind. I probably just didn't get invited. But um, just I don't know. <laughs> Thinking back to you, I, I've, I've made up in my mind that I had a job and I needed to stay on for the job, but I think <laughs> I just didn't get invited. But um, anyway, 
So I stayed behind and my, you know, we, you know, we had chores and I did chores and I, did, you know, I, I, I helped out. Um, but my, you know, my dad was like, Hey, make sure you mow the yard when we're gone. So my crate, I'll do that. Um, so Saturday morning I got up, you know, it's Idaho, nice, sunny, warm day in, in Idaho. Um, I got up, I don't know how early it was, but it was early ish. And we had a pretty big yard and um, we had a, a riding lawnmower. So I went out into the garage and um, to, to, you know, just go check on the gas and, you know, get the, the lawnmower out and get the edging stuff out. So I go out in the garage. Do you, do you not know this? Have you ever heard this? I've never heard this. So um, anyway, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound crazy. That's okay. If you're comfortable sharing it, no, I, I absolutely want to hear care. it. I mean, it, it happened. So, I mean, you know, it happened. Let's hear it. So I go out in the garage and um, we had like a four car garage. And, um, I still remember there were, there was one car in the garage and then three empty. Then we had bicycles and a couple motorcycles and, um, you know, snowblower and stuff stored as a really big garage, really deep and had a lifted, you know, piece in the back. Anyway, I walk over to, um, the lawn or to the, um, yeah, to the lawnmower. And I went down to unscrew the cap to see if there's gas, you know, mm-hmm. enough gas enough if I needed to fill it up and, um, a, a cold wind went straight through the garage and this is summertime yeah. like super cold wind like straight and it kind of went like straight through me weird like really weird really weird and by the way fully sober i fully sober didn't party the night before um fully sober right through me and i'm like whoa that's that's weird the weirder part was there were no windows open no doors open no garage doors open wind straight through and i'm like uh, and I, and literally I thought, well, am I high or something or yeah. what, what's going on? Yeah. And, um, but no, I, I wasn't. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to ignore that. And I'm going to keep going here. So I leaned back down to um, unscrew the cap cause I hadn't done it yet. And right then, um, I could hear like hundreds of people laughing at me. Like just literally laughing at me, and I mean hair on the back, and I had you know a full blown awesome mullet. I mean, I believe that. Like for real, I, I mean, believe we that. Call them mullets, but it my, it, I was scared to a point where it's like you know it's like what what is this to the point that you remember? I'm like every okay, detail. I'm I'm gonna leave. Something's going on here. I don't like it. I'm getting out of here, and. Right then, um, the world turned inside out. Like, it snapped on me. Like, have you seen, um, what's that show called? I've only seen a couple of episodes. The kids watch it. It's, it's the inside out or the upside down. What's that? Stranger Things. Oh, Stranger Things. So yeah, I the went, upside down. I went into the upside down. I, the only thing I could tell you that you would say, oh, that's... It was like the earth, the world turned inside out. I could still see everything. Like that's a can. It was a can, but it was a different what? perspective. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. It was like a totally different. It was like the inside. What do you call it? Upside down. The upside down. Yeah. I went into that. So um, it, it like peeled inside out or upside down. What do they want? Whatever yeah. they want to call it. So. I'm like, I'm basically like, I'm something's happening bad. This is not right. I'm leaving. I've got to get out of here or some I'm, I'm done. I honestly, I was like, 
I'm going to get killed or something. Yeah. Like destroyed. So, so, um, so I, I decided, I decided my mind to go inside, but I hadn't done it yet. I'm like thinking through this, like what, you know, what do I do here? Yeah. And something grabbed me from behind, grabbed my shoulder and physically pulled back on my right shoulder. And I was still holding on to the lawn, the handle of this riding lawnmower pulled me back like forcefully. And I, I turned back. I mean, I'm, I'm scared. I don't even want to look really, but yeah, I turned back around. There's nothing there. What in um, the world? Yeah. So, um, anyway, I'm like, oh crap. And, and I, I kind of came back around this way. I see a hand this time on my shoulder and it pulls me back and spins me around. Like it pulls me so hard. It like physically pulled me around and I'm like, and, but still no, nothing, nothing's there. So I went, I went to turn around again and there was this being standing there right, right face to face with me. Um, three feet, two feet from me, grinning at me, smirking. I'd say smirking. Like, I've got you. you what the yeah. Yes. So that was like, you're like, I'm like, well, for me, and I, again, I don't know if people are religious or not religious, but I'm like, cause I, I didn't believe in God at that point. I'm like, that's Satan or whatever evil is, whatever you want to call it. That's Satan. And I'm done. Yeah. This, this he's got me and I'm done. Oh and I God. literally thought I was, I thought I was, life was over. Oh my gosh. So, um, what do you do with that information? <laughs> like dude, at that age, what do you do? What do you do with that information as a, you just graduated high school. What do you do with that? It scared me. I mean, stone, stone straight. Like I didn't dare. I, well, let me, so I mustered the, I'm like, I'm not, I didn't want to die. I yeah. thought I was going to die. I, that's all I could think. Cause I'm going to die. And that he, this thing, this personage or whatever is owns me. I'm it's over. Um, so I saw the garage door, the side door entering the house and I, everything I had ran towards it and in running you know, these are split second things happening. I'm like, if I try to open the door, he's going to pull me back in. Cause I like, he's going to get me. So I dove, hit the garage door opener, and when the light came in from the outside, the world went back to normal. It like it was what like an explosion. World. Um. So I, I, I lay. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't move. I was. I still remember laying face on the cement in the like halfway in the sun, and I couldn't move. I don't again. Don't know how long. A minute, twenty minutes. I have no idea. Yeah. Time meant nothing, you know. Anyway, I went to walk inside. It, the From the outside, we had kind of a, a mud room. You could enter from the garage or an outside patio. And I'm walking in the house. My sister, Kristen, was walking out at the, at the time. Mm -hmm. And she starts screaming, what happened to you? And I couldn't talk. I couldn't even make a word come out of my mouth. Yeah. And she was screaming. However I looked, scared her. What? So, Yeah. Oh my God. So what did I do with that information? I didn't sleep for a couple of months. I showered with my eyes open with shampoo running down my eyes, burning them. I didn't care. Cause every time I thought if I closed my eyes, he'd be there. I was not oh my scared. Gosh. I didn't dare tell anyone. Cause I was so scared. Oh my God. But I, but I, it scared me st uh, straight, straight. 
like straight, like didn't dare drink, get high, nothing. That's so. And I was nutty. like, and I was like, oh, there's, there's, that's negative and evil. There's got to be, you know, good and positive. And that was when you started like looking at life nah, that way. Yeah, but yeah. So I, I, did, I was like, oh, I'm, I want to be Mormon now. It wasn't like that. Yeah, that was a bit of a process. I, I was baptized when I was like eight, but um, anyway, but it yeah. did end up. I ended up thinking, okay, this is real. I had to look at this a little bit more. Holy crap. I so, never knew that. Yeah, That's honestly of, crazy. Kind of crazy, huh? Yeah, very, very crazy, yeah. I would say. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, so then moving on from that, obviously not easy, but moving on from that, you through the transition, you ended up going and serving a two-year mission. Dominican you served Republic. the full full mission in Dominican Republic. Yep. Right. And you've always spoken pretty highly of that as far as the what you learned from it, right? Look, I mean, I so for me in life, um, when I did something, I wanted to do it well. And, I, and with some of that information I had, I'm like, you know, there's, there's, there's good and evil out there. And look, everyone think, looks at it differently and thinks differently. Um, and I think about it the way I think about it, but I'm like, I want to, this, this message that I have is it resonates. It's good. It's about family. It's about, you know, being happy and stuff like that, making yeah. good choices. And so when I went on my mission, it was, it was every ounce of everything I had every day. Yeah. I mean, I would say I killed myself for two years. That's awesome. Um, not, I left nothing on the table. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, through that, you know, learned how to lead and how to, you know, yep. you know, really work hard. You know, when we're under our parents wing and, you know, they're doing, even though you know, we had to be a little bit self-sufficient, but on that, in that deal, you make your own choices. You know, you, you don't have to work hard. You don't have to have a good attitude. You don't have to put the time. You can waste a lot of, you know, that yeah. like this job. Yeah. Full freedom, which is why I love what you do. Full freedom to work as hard as you want and you get, and you reap those rewards. You get everything out of it that you put into it at yeah. some point. Yeah. Same with the mission. So for me, that was like really the point where I'm like, okay, when I set my mind to something, um, I can do it at an, at a level that, yeah maybe other people are unwilling to not that they couldn't, mm -hmm. but they're unwilling to, I've got, I yeah. had that ability I, to step up and outwork um, and out attitude other people from, you know, from that perspective, which is for sure affected the rest of your life since yeah. then. So then after mission, you got home, you ended up in Provo at that point, correct? And you were, it's not a beer. It's a water <laughs> liquid death, by the way, Tell him about the sponsor us already, will you please? I, hey, sponsor. Um, let's see. I could have invested in this company like I don't know, it's probably four years ago. It, it was like ten million dollar valuation. I think they're going public. I believe so. They had like three or four hundred billion. So I missed out on that one. You missed out a little bit. Um, and you still drink one every day. We have you see that my your house, fridge is fully full. stocked with them. So that's um, amazing. Well, I know what I know. The mate, you should tell me you wants to be sponsored. The guy that tried to get me to invest, um, Peter. He's a buddy of mine from Southern California. He'll he'll hook you guys up. So now now everyone heard Let's that. Go. If we aren't sponsored soon, Peter, it's on it's on Todd. So Peter, hook it up. You owe me because you didn't force me to invest. If you see this, oh right here, hello. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So so uh, and by the way, um, another interesting side note: the first time I ever flew on an airplane was on my mission to the DR. To the DR, I'd oh never flown gosh. on an airplane before. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't know a lot. I, I'm loving this. I'm like, I'm yeah. eating it up. So I hope everyone loves it as much. So then 
got home and I want a really clear understanding of like your upbringing into what you've already gone and created at Vivint because a lot of people see where you're at. No one knows this stuff. And this stuff is so key in my opinion, because it's so relatable. Like frankly, most of like people in your, in your position sometimes don't seem relatable to a lot to to the masses. But when you hear exactly how you got where you got, that's where it's relatable and that's where it's super eye opening and inspiring. Um, so then you got, yeah, you, you first time on a, on a plane was to your mission. You ended up in Provo then, right? Going to BYU or what was well, Yeah, that? but here's the, the, there's the most important part of it. Okay, is hit me. I, I get off my mission. Well, so, so one thing that's really important, my, like, I really do believe like, um, how I think about life and trying to t- treat people and view, you know, the world and my, my position in the world comes from my parents. Mm. Um, like, you know, my my mom and dad would never they do not care um that vivent vivent solar sold for five and a billion that vivent sold for five to two point eight billion they don't care yeah they just don't care they well they care that i worked hard and mm-hmm. i tried to do a good job like you know leading people and living up to my word and stuff but um but my mission president um, was the one that inspired me to think about business, being a business person. I've heard this, yeah. And uh, how, how Gary so? Sorensen, he, you know, he, um, so we had a weird relationship. Like um, when I, when I looked at the, some of the leaders on my mission um, I, and I'm not going to say I was, I didn't respect them, but I didn't respect their work ethic. Um, Cause for me, I was there just to work. Yeah. I didn't care about P days. I didn't care about, anything but working, like working every minute of every day. And I had a blast doing it, by the way. It wasn't like I was some weird robot. I had a blast. Yeah. But my mission president um, wanted me to, you know, work in the office as an AP. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that because your APs are lazy and they don't teach and they don't baptize. So no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. He's like, what? Because like, AP on your mission, AP is like the assistant the, to the president. That's the pinnacle. Yeah, like, you're like uh, you know, v, VP of sales of Evan. That's yeah, you're thing. yeah. Um. So anyway, I ended up doing it and working with him, and we we became like lifelong best friends. Then he was, you know, he was a forty something year old man, retired, very young, mm. and he taught me about business. We talked about investing. We talked about you know how to maximize capital like creating capital and then maximize capital you don't learn that in high school especially in idaho mm-hmm. um definitely not in college but he was like my mentor in business so my i, I already had when i came home the intention of building companies mm-hmm. um i i thought that it was going to be an orthodontist because that's what my dad did and i'm like what else do i do i don't know yeah and my dad could provide he provided fine for our family well, anyway, I come home from my mission and a day after I was released, you have to get released from, you know, the calling. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting at a table with my mom and two of my sisters and my sister, Michelle's like, Hey, so, you know, what's the plan now? And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start an import export business into the Dominican Republic. Cause if you bought used cars here, yeah. they sold for way more down there. I had this big business plan and my, my, my mom and my sister started crying and they're like, you haven't changed a bit. They- you just got home from your mission and you're talking about making money. And I'm like, Whoa, I, I'm not a mission I, in my mind. I'm like, I'm I did my a, work. Yeah. I'm not a missionary anymore. Yeah. It's time to get, get down to business. So I was super confused. I'm like, what? Yeah. And in their mind, they're like, well, you haven't changed. You're still 
same old. How come you're not a spiritual giant? You're yeah. talking about money. But my mission president was telling me, like, you need to go make a ton of money so you can impact thousands of people's lives. Yeah. And you can donate to hospitals and you can give wherever you need to give. And not just money, but time and energy and leadership ability and lift people up around you. That's what he, that's why. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't say that to them. I was just like, well, this is weird. Yeah. Um, now, another weird fact that I didn't think about all that much until like a little later in life, but I only wrote home nine times on my mission. Um, that was the first year. I didn't write home one time my second year. Oh, wow. And now I'll tell you're you, just fully consumed. I didn't, I didn't, my, with my companions, I didn't want to hear about home, talk about home know about their homes. I didn't want to know what they did in high school, who they date. I didn't, I didn't want to know Yeah, because I don't want to get derailed at all. So that was like law to me. Yeah. And then part of that was cut everyone off. I had a girlfriend when I left, I wrote her one time on my mission, never wrote her again. Yeah. Um, and so I just like, like unwavering focus. I know that's as a, like as a, as a, with the parents, my parents, that's so, probably really selfish. But for me, I was like, I'm giving this a hundred percent. And for me, that was part of it. It was like, I yeah. wrote off yeah. my life. Um, so my, my, I know my parents were thinking he's screwing around on his mission because he's not writing <laughs> he's not these freely, freely letters and these big, you know, whatever experiences and whatnot, but I was killing it. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's I didn't amazing. have time. I didn't have time. I didn't take P days. I took P day my first four months of my mission and never again. Just didn't do it. I didn't need the time. I had a maid that cleaned our clothes and made food for us. Like, why did I need a P day? Yeah. So anyway, so that's some of the background. My dad comes home from work, um, which he never does. Middle of the day, he's an orthodontist. He has patience. Yeah. So my dad pulls me back into my parents' bedroom. He's like, hey, man, we're done with you. And I'm like, okay. It's like, you flunked out of your freshman year at BYU. Um, and, you know, you screwed off your whole mission. And I'm like, Again, I'm like, I'm, con- I'm super confused. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean I flunked out of my freshman year? He's like, your sister, Lynette, my sister ratted me out when I was a <laughs> freshman. Her and I took a bunch of classes together, and she told my parents I never went to class, which I didn't. Yeah. But I had, like, AP physics. I had, you know, I had all the classes already in high school. My freshman year was a breeze. I got a 387. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get a 4.0, but I got a 387. And I'm like, Dad, what? I, I got a 387. He's like, well, your sister said you never went to class. I'm like, I didn't. I didn't need to. Like, it was so easy. Yeah. Um, I just could waltz in and take tests and didn't have to show up to class. So I just <laughs> skied. It's like that. She said you skied every day. I'm like, I, and I did. Um, Now your dad's confused. So, like, no, but, but it didn't matter because he still was under the impression that I screwed off my whole mission. And got he's it. like, you're done. We're done with you. Um, do you have a li- place to live in pro? This is like two days after my mission. I got home. Yeah. Um, I'm like, dad, I, I just got home. Like, he's like, do you have a job? I'm like, how would I have a job? Like, well, I'm taking you down tomorrow morning. You got to find a place to live because we're, we're done. Yeah. We're not helping you. You're done. And my, my parents had like little trust accounts for my siblings for like, a, you know, reasonable car and help with tuition and rent. Not everything. They had to work in the summers and help. But yeah. He was like, we're done with you. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I, what do I say? Like, please no. Yeah. I didn't have that personality, obviously. So the next morning with my one pair of tennis shoes 
couple beat up, you know, pants for my mission and a few t-shirts and a little bag. Not a, when I say not a dollar, not a dollar, not a, not 25 cents in my pocket. My dad drove me down to Provo and dropped me off at one of my ex-missionary companions doorsteps who had just got married a month earlier. Um, basement, um, just like this little taller, uh, ceilings, boys. Um, we can at least walk around, we can walk around without Zach hitting his head on the ceiling, but, um, uh, drops me off. I knock on the door and Brent, by the way, his name was Brent Bartholio. He was my, he had been my companion. I had called him and I said, Hey man, I'm coming down there. I've got to stay. I've got to live with you. He's like, you're not, do not step foot on my porch. You are not staying with me. I just got married. You're not staying with us. I'm like, Brent, I don't have a job, no money. I'm coming. Now, so I show up. Fortunately, Susan opens the door. And I'm like, hey, I'm Todd Peterson. I was, you know, Elder Peterson. She's like, I know who you are. I'm like, I have to live with you. I don't have anywhere to live. My dad had already left. Oh, poor Uh, Brent and Susan. So I, they had a little couch, a little kitchenette, and a one bedroom and very, very thin walls. And I lived with them for three months. Right after they got married. No car. Oh, it's horrible. Uh, you better have sent them on a vacation. Oh, I, I, you better have sent them on a vacation I've, I've now. Done a, I've done I've done a thing or two to make it. <laughs> okay. But that couch looks nice. The couch I was on, not nice. I didn't. I still remember an Afghan and a hard little pillow. That's what I slept with. Um, Keep in mind, he said thin walls. Thin he walls. Said thin walls. Horrible. I mean, <laughs> just horrible. Um, so I tried to stay out late and, you know, all that stuff and give them some, you know, space or whatever, but morning one is a really important day in my life with the, with the Bartholios wake up and I'm hungry. Like, you know, and I was still like confused that my, my family just cut me off. Like, yeah, you know, like emotionally and not just financially. Yeah. Um, they were super mad. I hadn't processed why I'm like, it is what it is. I'll figure it out. So I wake up, I'm starving and, you know, they're sleeping still and I don't want to wake them up. So I'm sitting on the couch and there's no cell phones back then. There's nothing. There's no computers. Yeah. So I'm not like searching the web, like, you know, reading something, some interesting fact or TikToking or whatever. I'm just sitting there waiting for them to wake up. They wake up finally. And I also was raised in a family where you don't get in the fridge, even at your own home without asking. So yeah, I'm just starving. They get up and Susan starts making omelets and I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks good. But I, I'm also, I, I didn't, I wasn't raised to say, could I have one? Yeah. So I sat there until she asked and I was like, oh my gosh, yes. But she had put cheese on, is this weird detail that I remember? <laughs> like she was putting cheese on Brent's omelet and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd love to have cheese on my omelet. Uh, but I didn't say that to him. And <laughs> she finally asked if I did. I'm like, oh, I'd, I'd love to have cheese on my omelet. Um, they are saints saints they're saints and uh so anyway i i remember sitting there i I, i'm a beggar like i was a beggar like i had nothing yeah nothing to offer nothing to give them no money to pay rent no money to buy food no car nothing i couldn't pay for soap for the laundry i had nothing and um and i i remember sitting there thinking I I'm going to get myself out of this hole. Yeah. And I'm going to have the ability at some point. I remember it was like, it like burned a hole in my chest. I'm going to, I'm going to get to a point where I can take care of people. 
Yeah. Um, just like they're te- they're taking care of me. Like I will get my. I don't didn't know how. Yeah. I will make that happen. This is going to happen because I had this like intense desperation in my soul to like succeed yeah. in life. Yeah. I didn't even know what that meant at that point, but um, as and this does not mean that I wasn't appreciative, like beyond appreciative. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I have nothing to offer this world right now. Nothing. Yeah. Um. So, and then literally for the next months, Susan, I got a job pretty quickly because I did construction in high school. I got a job sheetrocking. Um, but I had she had to take me to work and pick me up, and she had to make my and before I got paid. Make my lunch no for me. I, I was a beggar. Oh my! I had word. Nothing. Nothing. Zero. Um, and then by, I don't know, like three months or so in, like I started having a little bit of money because I had to pay for my own school and I wanted to go to school. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. I also was raised in a family where debt was not an option. Yeah. So I wasn't gonna. I didn't even go try to get school debt. I didn't try to do get Pell grants anything. Yeah. Um. So I had to save my money for tuition, books for rent like every, i i didn't spend any money and then i i got a car and um i remember so many weeks where i had i was budgeting every last dollar i had to make sure i had enough for school books you know tuition everything um there was a little gas station right on the west side of BYU campus yeah and this place it wasn't a gas station but it was next to one they had 10 cent hot dogs and I lived off those damn hot dogs for months. Ten cents. Ten cents per hot dog. That's not good meat. Whatever uh, but, it was, it was it, not good it meat. Fed me, and I and um, that's that's what I ate because uh, that's, that's what I could afford. Um, and I I don't even know how many I had, but so but you know you could have five or six of them. You're full, and it was like yeah, for less than a dollar, you're eating and having a drink. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's how I, that's how I started. Um, so right there, right you, what what part of the year was that? Right before summer, like your so this first was, summer was. So this was um, this was summer of nineteen ninety. Okay, summer of nineteen ninety. I got home from my mission spring of nineteen ninety. Got you. So the so the pest control marketing company didn't start until ninety two. Got you. So you lived two years like that, where you were just working either sheetrocking or other jobs. So sheet sheetrocking. Brett and I ended up. We didn't. We didn't have a you know, contractor's license. So we started sheetrocking under a guy named Claire call. He was, it's called call wall. We, we hung the sheetrock because we, the job that I had, the guy that we were working for, Brett and I both, um, it was never on time. He wouldn't have the screws and the, uh, and the, and the, um, uh, not well equipment and the ladders and scaffolding ready ever. Mm-hmm. So we're like, screw this. We're not, we can't make money unless we hang sheetrock. So we kind of started our own thing and, and started working under this Claire call. And, and then in the process, I'm like, I want to make more money, work more hours. Mm-hmm. I started a house cleaning business, mm-hmm. got a business license. Um, my mom, one of my old neighbors had moved to Utah. She was divorced. And my, um, I, she was one of my mom's best friends and I knew she cleaned homes for a living. Yeah. And so I called her and I'm like, Hey, do you make good money doing this? And she's like, I'll get paid like, you know, 35 bucks an hour. And back then, yeah. minimum wage was 375 or something like that. I'm yeah. Like, Dang, that sounds good. Yeah. So, um I I grew up cleaning. My parents made us clean, you know, dishes, mop, you know, all the, all the all the stuff, cleaning bathrooms. But I said, "Can I come work on work for you for like a week for free and watch how you do it because you're in Salt Lake?" 
I'm going to do the same thing in Provo, which she let me do it. Um, showed me all the products, where to buy all the, you know, the industrial, you know, supplies and whatnot. And I got a business license. I went up on the Provo bench, actually right here, right above us. Yeah. And I'm like, these are all the rich people. Like, I'm going to go knock on their doors and clean their homes. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Hey, I have a house cleaning business. Here's my flyer. Um, and I got clients doing that. And I made a ton of money, ended up having to hire multiple crews. But um, I, we cleaned, I don't know, 60, 70 homes a week. That's amazing. With my, me and my crews. And I also sheetrocked. That so, is so dope. I Like, look, I was willing to do anything it took to, you know, not just pay my bills. To never, ever be in that situation ever, again. Ever. Yeah. That, that's that's so sick. So then two years of that and then kind of the start of what you're very, very, very well known for, where you mentor thousands of people and you're a huge example. Um, the door-to-door, like you you are like the the godfather of door-to-door, a thousand percent. Anyone who disagrees, um, there are thousands of people that would back that. Starting in 92 then, you went out with a pest control marketing company, right? It was us. It was me. It was so, you. So, so what? this is what happened. So there's this guy named Scott Harmon who actually had, I don't know, like six or eight people that worked for him selling pest control. A couple of my buddies sold for him, but it was like over the phone mm. in the summer of 91 in Sacramento. And they made like 10 grand and 12 grand, which back then was like a hundred grand. Yeah. You know, in, in 91. Yeah. They come back from the summer and, and I'd fallen off a scaffolding and I'd hurt my right shoulder. I didn't have insurance, so I couldn't get it fixed. I now have metal shoulders, but um, that was my first, first injury. And anyway, my, my buddy Michael was like, hey, Todd, we didn't even work hard. You, you work your butt off. You'd kill it doing this. Mm-hmm. You should go talk to Scott. So I drove to Sacramento to meet with Scott, went through this little training thing that they had to take some test. And at the end of it, and I passed the test and everything at the end, he's like, I'm not going to hire you. You wouldn't do a good job. I'm like, what? Yeah. Um, He's like, I just don't think you do a good job. I'm like, no, no. Like I have, I sheetrock and clean toilets, getting myself through school. I pay all my bills. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm not going to hire you. So anyway, I, I didn't stop right there. I kept going at it and he still said no. And he sent me on my way back to Provo. I drove back to Provo. And I literally called this guy like 10 more times, Scott. He owned this little pest control company um, it, or did sales for this little pest control company. And I said, Scott, I'm coming to work for you. You don't understand. I will transform your business. Like you've never met someone that works more harder than I do and is more determined ever. Sorry, Todd. That's a no click. Oh my gosh. So <clears throat> these are all such blessings in disguise, oh, such big blessings in amazing. disguise. So my, my friend, Wayne Schlosser, who I was just talking to yesterday, actually, his mom, he was one of my roommates. His mom lived in Danville, California. And um, so I, I said, hey, Wayne, will you have your mom send me all of the pest control? There's no email, no, or no Google. Um, send me all the, the pest control companies out of the yellow pages in, in, you know, kind of Northern California. She mailed them to me, and I started one by one calling them. Todd Peterson from Idaho, going to school in Utah. I want to come sell for you next summer in California. No, we don't hire part-time. What, what are you talking about? That sounds random. Why would we ever do that? Yeah. And then we'll have to give you benefits and we have to fire you. And it's all weird. And no, I called every single one of them, every branch, every company, every, everyone. And it was no straight across the board. 
called back through anyone that I was like, um, yeah, they weren't rude. Call them back. Yeah. No, not doing it. Finally. And I'm kind of, I'm trying to fast forward. Cause I don't want to, you know, I don't know what else we're going to talk about, but finally this one, well, I got to the point where I'm like, I'll do this. I'll go straight commission. Yeah. Door to door. And people are like, door to door doesn't work. No one will buy anything from a door knocker. Why would you, that's not going to work. Finally, this guy named Daryl Ennis in Sacramento said, Todd, you're telling me, and I talked to him like five times because he was cool. Like, yeah. he'd at least talk to me. Yeah. He said, you're telling me that you're going to come work here. And I had like 10 friends that wanted to come with me if I did it. You're going to come here. And if you knock doors for a t- an entire week and don't make a sale, I pay you zero. And he's like, I said, that's exactly right. I said, you only pay me and we're going to wor- work out the commissions if I make a sale and it gets, it gets serviced. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, that's a, that's a no brainer. I think come out and meet with me, drove out there, met with them, did a handshake deal. Um, I ended up going down to La Jolla, California the next week to meet with his bosses. Little did I know is ter- that Terminex international is a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. You don't know who they were. You couldn't Google them. Yeah. Go down there and they're, they're in this high rise and they all have these monogrammed, you know, shirts and suits. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like this. And we struck a deal, handshake, no contract. And I negotiated uh, a rate and and an override to pay to pay the guys working with me. Yeah. We ended up starting in 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 um, Arizona. Um, and again, look, part of the, what I would say is just me thinking about this. And if anyone's listening, like a lot of people want to do things. They they they, they talk about it. Like, I'm going to do this. I want this. I want to end up like this. I want to be able to, you know, achieve this in life. But what they don't understand is life only responds to effort. Yeah. Like it doesn't respond to wants and needs and, you know, have, you know, it's great to have a, what do they call the pictures on the wall? Like a dream board. Dream or whatever. Board. It only responds to that. If you put the effort in, yeah. like it only responds to that. Yeah. Um. So I was willing to do anything, no matter what to succeed. Um. Now, when I say anything, within the, you know, bounds of the law. And I, tr- I try, I've always, you know, me, I've always tried to do it the right way. Not that I've Absolutely. not made some mistakes along the way, but um, I go to Arizona, I have no money. And my, my mom, um, I needed to uh, be able to buy food for the people working for me. We started in Arizona. My friend, Danny Barney's dad, let us stay in a trailer. It was south in Southern, south of Mesa, Single wide trailer. No, this is no exaggeration. With you and 10 other dudes? Me and 10 other dudes. <laughs> no electricity, no running water. That's it was a perfect. place to put our, we had sleeping bags. This is Arizona. Who's willing to start a business and sleep with no AC, no lights, no running water, starting your company? like In 110 degrees 100, at night. Yeah, at night. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Not, like, not very many people, but yeah. I didn't care. Like, I had singular focus on success. Like I didn't care. Now I didn't know how to sell pest control. We, none of us did. So what we did is we went at nine in the morning till nine at night, six days a week. And we knocked on people's doors and literally said, do you want pest control? No, thank you. Shut the door. You know, until finally a few of us figured out, um, Hey, maybe if, if you show them the spider webs on their porch, that there's spiders crawling, that that's, we just started to discover how to sell. I didn't know how to sell, yeah, but I knew how to pe- talk to people and I knew how to work hard. Yeah. That summer um, we finish up and um, 
I ended up making 80 grand. Now I didn't have a corporation at that time I, mm-hmm. and they paid me through their payroll. I made 80 grand after taxes, summer one, 1992, 80,000 bucks. Um, so that's, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know if there may be a few people who worked harder than me in that period of time, but I really doubt it. Yeah. Um, and I would say maybe the, over the 30 year career I had, not too many people have worked there. I read about Elon Musk. He works ridiculous hours, but if you want something out of life, you have to give it everything you have. Like you, it, it isn't like spurts of energy that most people think you can do to have high levels of success. And I'm not talking about financial success as the ultimate, you know, measuring stick, but any sort of success, you have to have the ability to have it on and leave it on. Yeah. That doesn't mean you don't falter at times, but 80,000 bucks summer of 92 is like a million bucks now. Yeah. Summer one. Yeah. No, no training. Um, so that's, that was my, and I was actually not going to do it again. I was like, I'm done. I had enough money to finish school, pay for all my school tuition, whatever, not, and I wouldn't have to work again thinking, you know, I'll go to, I thought I was going to go the whole school route. Yeah. Um, but my mission president derailed me on that. Yeah. So he's like, no, school's not for you. Um, you have something here. So that's crazy. Yeah. So then you continue to do that because um, what is now Vivint or Apex in the beginning was that was ninety nine. Yeah. So from ninety two to ninety nine, you continue to do that every summer. That's right. right. Pest okay. control, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and a couple of other, you know, I, I think are important facts. So, in. I think about things this way. And again, most people don't, they just don't. Mm -hmm. And you either do or you don't, or you've got, and if you can't change, you can't change. But what do most, what do most people do when they make 80,000 bucks, you know, back in 92? Yeah. What kind of a car are they buying? Very nice. I mean, they, they look like they made 80,000 bucks. They, they, they look like they made 200,000 bucks and they made 80. (laughs) Cause that's, that's how financing works. You level up with financing. Yeah. Um, I bought a $3,500 clapped out Jeep that was a salvage type uh, for 3,500 bucks, paid cash for it. And negotiated, the guy wanted five grand, I paid 3,500 bucks for it. I drove that thing for like four more years. Um, I went, what house did I buy? What boat did I buy? None. I went back to the same house I lived in before. My rent was 187 bucks a month. I didn't spend a dime. I... I then went the next out the next summer with 110 sales reps. I put every penny I had back into the, into the business and I got Terminex to lend me a million dollars. And I'm, I'm like, I'm 24, 23 years old at this point. Mm -hmm. They lent me a million bucks. And the only asset I had was my title to my Jeep and they took it as collateral. (laughs) I'm like a million dollars. And even me at that point, I'm like, this is, are these, is this a clown show or what? Like, <laughs> like you understand this is only worth 35. Literally uh, took lean against my, my Jeep. That's my, amazing. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I had to have that money paid back by August. Borrowed it at the start of the month, uh, start of the, uh, like January and had to have it paid back in August. So you borrowed that for housing, housing, all that, your travel, everything yep. for my, yep. for my, for my teams. And I'd always have it paid back by January. My, my, my um, rent on my office building was $400 a month. I had folding. So do you guys have folding tables and chairs? No, you don't. You have a nice table. Nice. But I, look, I, I wasn't, I wasn't about, you know, being fancy and 
showing off. Like I was there, I was, I, I wanted a real company. Yeah. I wanted a big substantial company. And I knew that wasting money on frilly things that didn't matter weren't going to make that happen for me. So it was folding tables and chairs, cheap rent. I did most of the work myself and I worked from seven in the morning till two in the morning, like yeah. six days a week. So, um, you know, I, I, it, none of it was handed to me. I can assure you of that. Yeah. Now there were a lot of incredible people I was surrounded by the help that helped me get it done. It wasn't Absolutely. my own. Absolutely. So then that, I mean, fast forwarding through that, 92 to 99, that's what you did. Then you went and founded. Liquid death. Sponsor. Um, then you went and founded um, Apex at the time, right? Which is now Vivint um, in 99. So that's been up and running, dominating since 99. Yeah. Like that's that's my employer right yep. now, obviously. Yep. And most people, most people that are a big fan of the show, they either work for Vivint or are extremely familiar with Vivint. Yeah. So that process was a crazy process. You took Vivint from literally zero what, zero you were a 99 we, lo- we lost 180,000 lost and, and by the way had been i'd been making really good money in pest control yeah you know owned the whole company to a point and then i brought on this guy keith nellison we owned the whole thing we made money i just you know no disrespect for to anyone that's listening that does pest control i didn't think that it was a great service for the money that was being charged yeah i wanted and i wasn't i didn't want to build my legacy you know running a pest control company yeah like that wasn't what i was about yeah so wholesale changed and you know went into the residential security space and lost money year one and fully dropped doing pest control together i just i didn't even though i'd made great money doing it didn't want to have that be my legacy yeah um and uh yeah so 99 started and the crazy the craziness starts then yeah um we started as a dealer with ADT and started doing really well. We went from, I don't know, I think we did 800 installs in 99 to I think we did, you know, 12,000 year three installs, but ADT had financial problems. Mm-hmm. They were owned by Tyco and there was so crazy. They were a public company and they had problems. They cut their dealer program off. So we had to switch to Monotronics. This company called Monotronics was a garbage company. It still are. Sorry. <laughs> but um, I mean, they are, they just are. Um, and so we were scaling super fast and, you know, the one thing I'll say is, you know, Vivint, when we say we're going to do something, we do it. Yeah. Um, that doesn't, if, whether it's someone we're working with or for people that work with us or for us, um, we do it. And we, we told Monotronics, we we're going to do 40,000 installs that summer. And it was, geez, it was summer of two, 2004 or five. And we did more than that. Well, they yeah. only scaled up operationally for like, 10,000 installs. We buried them. They were billing customers that weren't being monitored. They could, it was, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. So that was the, you overloaded them, overloaded them. I'm like, you know what? I am tired of depending on other companies giving bad service to the customers that we're promising good service to. So we're starting our own thing. We're going to start our own monitoring station. We're going to, we're going to start installing and long-term servicing our own customer base. That was it. I was like, I'm done. No matter what, we're gonna build. We're gonna build a company here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Um, as always, it was a blast for me. I hope you got something out of this. If you got something out of this video of value, share this with a friend, and please go show your love. We're on all streaming platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. Any ratings, comments, likes, shares, they go a very long way, and they make it so I can keep doing these things for you. And I would appreciate it greatly. So please go share with a friend. 
until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 